Welcome, fellow anglers, to the Working Class Fishing Podcast, a place for all anglers, amateur or expert, to share their stories and learn about fishing. Join your hosts, John and Brian, each episode as they debunk the perceived inaccessibility to fishing, break down the barriers of any and all angling methods, and hear stories from other anglers and their own journeys with fishing. Now, let's get this show started. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Class Fishing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brian, and here is, as named, John Morris Esquire II today with our sponsors. <laughs> mm, indubitably, sir. Yeah. This episode of Working Class Fishing is brought to you by CD Fishing USA, 317 Flies, Angry Rooster Fly Company, Lid Rig, and Madrimus Fly Company. All right. And you heard that last one? newest sponsor to us, Anatomist Flyco. Uh, you can go over to our website. They have the discount code WCF10 to get 10% off your order, or you can also get their stuff through our other sponsor, Rocky Phillips over at Angry Rooster Fly Company. So tonight's special guest, uh, he came on because we needed to backfill the time and it's not to underscore his importance to us, but we have Ryan McFall from the great state of North Carolina and he goes by McFall Flies on Instagram, ties some beautiful topwater stuff. Uh, and I'm sure we're going to learn a lot more about him here in a second. But Ryan, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate you coming on in such short notice. No worries. It's an honor. Appreciate uh, you guys inviting me here. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, like uh, your name comes up pretty frequently amongst the, uh, you know, everyone says that the fly fishing world is small and that the world of tires is even smaller right but in the streamer you know in the streamer world here recently your name's been coming up a lot and it's not just for your ties but it's because you've been teaching some of my friends how to do things mm -hmm. okay. so who are mutual friends then i'm curious uh well um if i'm not mistaken you just you and dave hurl were going over some uh some synthetic brush stuff yeah 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 that was just a couple days ago yeah yeah but uh, dude like it, any any predator fishing stuff you just color me tickled I, I love that stuff so but dude uh that says a lot about your character you know that you're willing to share with other people and that's what it's all about at the end of the day you know we can't hold on to this stuff forever and I just want to let you know that I really appreciate that you're sharing your time and your knowledge with other types well, I appreciate that, man. I I absolutely got to where I am, and I'm not trying to say I'm anywhere high and mighty, but I got to where I am because of other people too. Like I figured some stuff out on my own, but connections are huge, and so I'm more than happy to pass it on. There's not a single thing that I do that is so proprietary that I won't share it. So I'm pretty much an open book. But I appreciate you giving me that feedback, man. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. So you. How long you been tying for anyways? I mean, I, I, I look at the flies, I'm, I'm looking at them now and, and it's like, how long have you been doing this? So not that long in the grand scheme of things, but I've put a lot of hours in, in the time that I've been tying. So if I were to like really be technical, the first time I ever tied a fly was like, I don't know. 15 years ago in a Bass Pro Shop and I didn't know what I was doing and there was just like a vice sitting there and I don't know whether I was allowed to tie on it or not but I 
brought myself over there and did. And um, it was a monstrosity. I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I couldn't even get the thread to stay on the hook at the beginning because like that seems like some magic trick. Um, so I tied one fly there. But in the grand scheme of things, it's probably been like four years or so that I've been tying um, pretty consistently. And um, started out with like, uh, it was the, I'll just use a big box brand uh, like kit. So it's like a $3 vice. It's the scraps of every material that they couldn't sell and um, <laughs> a few hooks. And, but that worked, it got me into it. Um, and then from there, very, very quickly, I, I caught the bug and um, we don't have a fly shop here in town. I wish we did, but we have something called Great Outdoor Provision Company, which is, it has fly tying, fly fishing related stuff. And then it's just got a bunch of outdoor stuff. And um, I found myself in there like a week after getting my fly tying kit, just buying stuff off the shelves that I didn't even know what it was. Um, Cause I was like, I'm sure I'll use this at some point. And um, it's kind of remained the same way since. I, uh, I have way too many materials. I get way <laughs> too into it. Um, my wife is very patient. Um, we have invested in a really good vacuum cleaner. So that's kind of where we're at. <laughs> the, so yeah. that's, that's incredible. You know, <clears throat> there's, there's been some other tires like uh, Bramer, right? Gunner. Gunner says the reason he has gotten uh, to where he is so quickly is because that's all he did was tie streamers um dude I, I know this is like you're our guest and i'm supposed to you know say whatever but i'm not just like blowing smoke dude you're good and like i, I really that, appreciate the time and effort that you have put into honing your craft and but that leads me to this question of i, I see you tie some dry flies and stuff here and there you know probably to mix it up i think we all do that but um where did you start tying like what was what was that first um pattern was it you know was it the woolly bugger like so many of us or it was it was yeah uh I think that was the first thing I I tied out of that kit that I was saying just because it looked the most interesting to me like at that point I had done some fly fishing but not a ton and so I sort of I sort of picked up fly fishing and fly tying around the same time and a woolly bugger just looked more fun um than like this little tiny brown nymph thing so um <laughs> so that's what I started with and um it took me I don't know 15 flies to realize that you're supposed to whip finish so those first 15 of course just like fell apart um then like 40 flies in I learned about head cement so like I like I did a lot of failing and that kind of is what I credit most of my success, if you want to call it success, that's where it comes from is I'm not afraid to fail. And sometimes I wish I was because I can follow a rabbit hole that has no end for a while. But, um, but yeah, so I started off making woolly buggers and made some terrible ones. And it's kind of led me here today. Huh. Yeah, I think <clears throat> that's such a common story for a lot of us, you know, it's, it's that woolly bugger because everyone, because I, I got into fly tying and fly fishing literally a day apart of each other. And that's only been two years. I'm, I'm still really fresh to all of this. And um, 
everyone says, well, if you don't have a woolly bugger in your box, you're doing it wrong, you know, because a woolly bugger will catch anything and it will, it really will. That's, yeah, that's, that's not a fallacy. That's a very, that's a very matter of fact, true statement. Yeah. And so you sit down and you, you tie them and just like you said, dude, it's, it's ugly. It's always ugly, but I, but it catches fish and you know, it's you, I think you've tied probably so many more flies than I have, but when you said, you know, you tied probably at 40 and then you realize there's head cement that that reminded me of Edison, you know, saying he learned so many ways of not to create the light bulb. And, uh, I don't know, that just kind of tickled me a little bit. That's pretty neat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If I can derail us, but I promise I'll pull it back. Um, that was kind of a learned thing for me, like learning how to fail. And so I don't, that might sound kind of cheesy, but, um, before fly tying, I had another like obsession it's like beyond passion it's like obsession um and i was a production potter so i used to make pottery for a living and um there are an immense number of overlaps between making pottery and tying flies and so i think that that was a huge uh jump in my learning curve for tying but the thing that i learned the most from pottery was the ability to fail because there were so many things out of my control i don't know if you guys know anything about making pottery but you can do everything right and still end up horrible. And, um, but that was weirdly addictive to me. So that has kind of carried into tying flies where I'm like, well, I'll spend two and a half hours tying a fly and it might suck. And uh, it might not swim or it might not do whatever, but that pursuit is really exciting to me. Um, And I think if people are willing to do it and can get over the fact that, you know, this might be a dollar and 37 cents of material, like, you're going to learn way faster. And that dollar and 37 cents of material that looks as ugly as could be, will still catch a fish. Like we tie flies for ourselves and for our buddies to look at these fish. Most of the time will eat the ugliest of flies and sometimes they'll eat the ugly ones better, which is really annoying. Yeah. yeah I think, I think that uh, the ugly flies look like they have something wrong with them. And so when you present something that's hideous, like a big ball of like, garbled up yarn or hackle or whatever else i think i think the fish is like hey, that's an easy meal yeah and they go for it you know it's it's kind of like a wolf with a with a elk with a broken leg you know what's going to be harder you know taking on the seven by seven bull you know that's all healthy and like flared out from the rut or you know the one that's been hit by a car they're going to take the one out that's been hit by a car first it can't run they can corner it in the river and kill it you know i think the same thing goes for a fly if it looks like it's all wounded and messed up you take one of those frog poppers rip the leg off well well, you know, uh, Michigan J frog, he can't get up on the bank too easy. So, you know, uh, that, that bass, I, I think they're a little bit smarter. They got a tiny brain, but they're going to be like, he can't get away from me that fast. So I'm just going to hunt up on him and wham, you know, pop him off the top of a lily pad. I think there's something to that, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. That's a predatory instinct. I mean, and that's for me on the fishing side, like that's my favorite thing. So you talked about dry flies a minute ago, John, I tie them, I fish them occasionally, but if I can actively feed a fish, like that's a whole different thing for me. Um, so I will often throw flies that are way too bright or way too flashy. And I might catch half as many fish, but I can see the eat. I can see the streamer disappear. And like, oh man, that's that's the thing for me. Um, Dude, it's, it's that hunt. You know, oh man, it's that hunt. Like my cheeks are all warm now. Uh, <laughs> dude, it's... It's a, 
I'm about to get the meat sweats, boys. Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> hey, from the brisket. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's exciting. It's exciting. I, I was recently fishing with a buddy of mine, uh, Cam, Blackbird Guidance Service, if anybody is following him on Instagram. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, I follow him. Yeah, yeah. So he's pushing me around um, just earlier. Was it this week? Was this past weekend? Um, and he and I were talking, and he uses the analogy of, fly fishing is kind of like bow hunting instead of rifle hunting and like i'm not a big hunter myself i've been but it's it's not my favorite thing in the world um but he was kind of making that comparison and i i think that's pretty accurate like there's something a bit more satisfying about catching a fish on a fly rod to me now we were talking a few minutes before the show and like fishing's fishing so like if you enjoy fishing then props to you but for me there's an extra level of satisfaction and then even further still an extra level of satisfaction on my own fly like that's that's cool for me um, dude it is it's it it's hard to explain you know brian ties jigs and uh you know spinners and all this stuff so he 100 percent relates to this just a little bit different capacity you know it's still mm-hmm. fishing and you still created it yourself it's it is so gratifying to finally hook up on a fish on something you tied. And um, for me, it was uh, completely out of necessity, but then it worked. And that's, that's what enthralled me. And that's why I'm still here now tying flies mm-hmm. is, and, and only pretty much fly fishing, you know, like uh, it's, it's that pursuit. It's, it's that, the, the casting and the tying and, the the tying of the knots and waiting in all these pretty places you know it's and sometimes not so pretty places like i want to go catch a snakehead but oh, yeah <laughs> i'd love to yeah they're probably closer to me than you um i would imagine uh, you have uh, close to you? i don't have snake i've got both in down here dude i've got both in okay and i've got gar nice. which are, oh my god gar is so fun dude have you caught one on fly yeah really see i have not done that that sounds exciting dude i'll have to send you some gar flies or uh let you know how i'll time that's that is a lot of fun even the small ones it's just it is so much fun dude they're so wild looking i mean so crazy to think that they're swimming around in the same places that we live dude they're i mean they're they're so they're native fish man like they are so um so old those the, that species is so old and we I, I could talk about gar forever well we'll do that some other time but it, it, it really really incredible fish so we've got a i've got to share some of some of my 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 stuff with you now <laughs> yeah i'd love that i'd love that appreciate it man yeah uh you know the you know going back to catching something on something that you made yourself there's just this different level of satisfaction and it can be something very basic. Like um, it could be something as simple as you tied, like the, it was one of your first egg loop knots that you tied on a hook and you end up and you catch a big heavy fish and that knot holds. It's like, Mm -hmm. I didn't buy the pre-tied leader. I tied this myself and it kind of starts evolving from there. And then you might put together a spinner and it might be a musky bucktail, you know, big, 
big, huge monster, you know, Magnum rooster tail and you huck it out there and boom, you get blown up by a muskie after like 40,000 casts, but you caught <laughs> it on your, your, your spinner. Uh, same thing with bass. It's like, if you buy the do it molds and you pour your own worms, you know, and, and John will be like, do it, you know, cause he, he was a worm <laughs> guy, but you know, you go buy the plastisol and you come up with your own color and you hook that first bass, even if it's a little six inch dink, you, it, it's like this satisfaction, but that with flies, flies are a little bit different. And I, and I have to say this because you're really trying to, instead of just being like, eh, you know, it's a night crawler or, oh, you know, it's just flash with a bunch of, you know, bucktail or whatever else. This is something where you're taking something that's living and you're imitating it. And it's something that lives in a different environment than what we're accustomed to. That's what's different about, you know, like if you're doing uh, minnow or, or, you know, sculpin patterns, anything like that, there's something different. I mean, but yeah, that, that satisfaction is, you just can't get past it. It's almost primal. I think like there's something innate in us of like, ah, I did it. Like I hunted for the tribe or like whatever the like <laughs> internal dialogue is, but yeah. Yeah. And, and like you said, with the knots and the leader, like there's so many little areas of satisfaction. If you're willing to open up to that idea that there's different areas of satisfaction, like you could obviously like hand somebody a rod who doesn't know anything about it and tie on all their stuff for them. And they still might have a really good time, but the three of us geeking out about tying our own leaders like we're the we're the real strange breed here yeah. <laughs> well even even down to like your cider if you're if you're a euro nymph or you know your cider line you know instead of going to the fly shop and buying the big expensive cider line if you're tying it out of maxima chameleon or whatever you know uh and and you're fishing that and and you catch fish on that you're like hey i'm doing something right you know that's the whole thing and um that's, that's one of those things that it's like, it's just a satisfaction. It's like, I'm not doing things wrong. It's like with, with, uh, um, you know, people that go after, uh, you know, really tough species to catch when they finally hook up on that fish, even if it's with other people's stuff, they still had to put it together on the rod. They got that satisfaction. And that's the cool part. Absolutely. Right. So what are some of your favorite species of fish to get after? So I, uh, I have to just fess up. First of all, I spend way more time tying than I do fishing. I love fishing, but I love tying. And so <laughs> I'm putting in way more time at the vice. And to be honest, a lot of what I'm doing when I'm fishing is testing out the things I just yeah. tied or like solving a hypothesis of, does this work better than that? Um, in the process, I'm typically fishing for largemouth bass. Um, we have redfish nearby, so I'm at the coast here. I do not take advantage of living at the saltwater as much as I could. So I just, I think everywhere that I have the opportunity to own up to that, I do. Um, so, but love fishing for bass, love fishing for redfish. I'm about five hours from trout. So it's, it's a bit of a hike for me, but I really like trout fishing, um, just because it's so different than what I'm used to. Like I grew up here in the salt where, a 10 minute boat ride and you see nothing but water and you see the land way far away. That's way different than being on a trout stream where it's 10 to 15 feet wide. And I know that there's some fish between me and the other bank. And how can I fool them? Like that's really appealing to me too. So if I had to sum it up, I would say redfish in terms of saltwater, that's my go-to yeah. speaking. Um, largemouth bass and then trout. Um, I'd love to broaden my horizons some more. But um, that probably means I got to give up some time with the vice, to be honest. 
that's fair. That's fair. But I, I, if I had to wager, I'd bet <laughs> that you you do take a little bit of time away um, in the future to go pursue some other species because you're going to come up with some new fly, some new design, and you'd be like, it is designed for this. And then mm-hmm. you're going to be like, but it can also do this. Shit. i believe it i believe it yeah and i'll keep you posted as it happens yeah dude (laughs) yeah yeah so uh those are those are your fish you know that you have available to you what are some species that you like what's your dream my my dream fish is like arapaima but what is what is your dream fish on the fly to be honest, it has been for a while and it's probably attainable, but I got to save up for a while. I'd love to catch a golden Dorado. Um, just to me, like they look like they should be in a trout stream. And then there's just these giant predators in there. And I just find that so fascinating. So that's probably my go-to. And like, I don't know if you guys follow Jungle Angler. I think he is um, on Instagram. I mean, he's out there and like, these fish are so ready to take a fly. It is unreal. And so that would be probably my go-to. If I'm looking less exotic, um, I'd really love to chase pike or muskie. Um, we have some muskie in Western North Carolina. It's probably six hours from where I'm at and requires uh, some floatable vessel that I don't have to be more effective. But um, once again, like going back to the predator piece, like they just seem like apex predators of their systems and that just seems really enticing to me um so yeah that's probably my my go-to's both domestic and exotic dude i'm i'm with you 100 percent. i can appreciate all 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 of those choices <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah right yeah, you said arapaima. Uh, oh, yeah arapaima dude that's that is on my list i want to catch one on the fly so bad like, I want to take I want to take my twelve weight out there with some five fifty grain, six fifty grain, and I want to throw like this. I, I want to throw this craft fur like I've got it all planned out in my head. Right, like, <laughs> I want this twelve inch craft fur uh, deceiver in white with white and black barred hackles and just opal flash. Mm. and mm-hmm. i want to smoke an arapaima on it i'm talking like six on four out sl12s hooks <laughs> do it man you got it mapped out like you you have this fantasy laid out dude it's it you know it's it's a fantasy but it's like a fever dream dude like it, it's what keeps you up at night <laughs> <laughs> that's cool man. brian do you have a, a go-to fish that you're hoping to achieve at some point Oh, you know, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm so fortunate to live where I live, you know, because there's just so many incredible species. Like we have white sturgeon go five minutes from home and fish for those they are big, they're big, they're mean, they pull, they, they, uh, take you for a ride down the river a couple miles if you hook oversized. But if I was going to pick like a dream fish, like if I was going to go after one, I'm, I'm going to put GTs at the top of the list. I, I don't know what it is about them. Uh, maybe it's just because they're just so big and nasty. You can throw like the, whatever you want at them, but it, I just find it appealing that there's a fish that eats birds. 
I don't know what it is, but they just come flying off the flat and snap. Yeah, I I don't know what it is, but you can tell because they eat birds and they like fight pelicans. They probably pull like nobody's business. And I I was like, yeah, that sounds like fun. That and the other one that I've always wanted to catch since I was little, if I was going to go on like the exotic dream trip as a marlin. I have always Mm -hmm. wanted to hook a marlin. Uh, like I wanted to go down to the Baja when I was a kid because you'd you'd be out there and these guys got these huge offshore reels like the big 700 series and they got uh, they're buckled in yeah yeah they're like buckled in uh, and they're cranking they got all these hoochies running off of it and you just see this huge fish fly out and I'm like oh that is totally like if if, if you weren't going to go after like sharks that's what I wanted to go after like if I was going to that would be my dream fish I would love to catch a marlin, get the measurements on it, and have a life-size mount to hang above my fireplace. Just be like the be total, awesome. like, you know, have the pipe and everything and sitting there below my marlin, like, yeah, I caught that. <laughs> <laughs> a fish so big that if the mount fell, it would kill you. That's- yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll have That's to take dream a picture. Yeah, I'll have to take a picture <laughs> of the one down at a fisherman's because that one's been up there since I was a kid. That's our local tackle shop. This thing, I don't know where it came from, but it is a mutant marlin it is so big from the tip of its beak to its tail it has to be 16 feet it is huge it's it's dorsal is like seven feet tall i i'll take a picture of it i picture wouldn't even do it justice it's just massive but anyways marlin or gt one of those two that's awesome right so for some of your your flies is the slow water game changer inherently is that your fly It's not. So that's a pattern. Let me back up for a second. Game Changer originally was made by Blaine Chocolate. Blaine Chocolate. Yeah. yeah. And there's some people that talk about a linked minnow may have come first. I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg. That's not my my fight to figure out. Um, The slow water Game Changer is from a guy down in Australia, um, Chris Adams. And he runs and operates Beast Brushes. Um, Oh! And so no shit okay yeah 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 putting together connections um so yeah he came up with that pattern uh originally and i'd seen it and i tied it my way and it was just okay and um and so i i did some poking around and he's actually got a video that you can get online that tells you exactly how to tie it exact measurements and stuff like that and I, I was missing some pieces that I learned from that. And um, and so I started tying it and there's not a whole lot of people out there that are seeming to tie it regularly. So I, I think I've kind of like found a weird niche of being one of the people that ties it regularly. And no joke at this point, it is 100% my confidence fly when it comes to bass fishing. Um, it's It has the ability to be fished in so many different places in the water column. So you can have some that you trim well, let me back up for two seconds too. This is a, a game changer, which is a fly that's it's meant to imitate a minnow or a bait fish. Um, and it's got multiple articulations. So if anybody doesn't know what it is, like it's got spine uh, to it and it can bend and wiggle and stuff like that. The slow water game changer has foam on the back. So kind of like shingles of foam running down the back of the fly. And that does affect the swim some. So because it is more buoyant, Um, it swims more side to side and less kind of like erratically in the back, Um, which if you're trying to imitate a fish, a fish usually swims more side to side. They're not dolphining um, through the water. So it does that. And it also allows the fly to float or to slowly sink or anything like that, depending on how you trim it. 
And so if you wanted your fly to kind of sink head first, you could trim the foam out of the head and the tail would be more buoyant and it would start to tip forward. So it's really customizable. And um, I've talked to Chris a fair bit, the guy who invented the pattern, and he came up with that pattern to try to replicate jointed swim baits in the conventional world. And um, I really think that that is probably the most accurate way to describe that fly is that it is, it's almost a crossover between a conventional swim bait and um, a swim bait fly. So that was a long-winded response, but that's my initial thoughts on that fly. No, that's, that's an excellent response. And just seeing that fly move, I, I would agree 100%. And I'm, I'm not sure... I'm not sure about swim bait exactly. I would I would think more glide bait in the mm. in the conventional world. I, I would consider it to be more like a glide bait, um, which is really just a bigger sw- swim bait. But they they sit higher in the the water column, mm-hmm. and um, it's just so cool. I mean, that fly is so cool. Really, really unique fly. And it has, like you said, that just incredibly enticing side to side. And uh, dude, have you tied any musky size ones? I have not. Um, It's actually on, it's funny you bring that up. I was thinking about that today. And this is one of those things, I can't remember if it was before we started the show or during the show, you mentioned like things that keep you up at night. Like Today, I was thinking about different materials because I make all my own brushes, um, which is what you use to make these flies. Um, And I was kind of like thinking of dimensions and things like that. And I only have up to a 10 weight. And so in my head, I was like, what can I do that's going to like push the limits of my 10 weight, but still be castable? Um, So I've been formulating that today. It's funny you bring that up. But um, no, I think it it has the potential to be really effective in those settings. And I've actually had some, some musky guys here on the East coast, reach out to me and ask me to make some just have not had the time or opportunity yet, but it is, it's on my list. I think it'd be killer. Like, honestly, I think it would be killer. Um, I, I am excited about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I probably need to, speak to a few people and get some more design considerations and stuff like that. But I mean, it seems very doable. Um, the main issue I would think of is I'm always tying these with just one hook. And, um, that if you have a rear hook on these flies, it adds extra weight. It doesn't swim quite as well. The beauty of this pattern is it can be fished super slow, like painstakingly slow. And, uh, at that point, every little thing kind of makes more of a large difference. So if you're fishing in heavy current and you're two-handed stripping a fly in, it's being burned in and it's just swimming, it's going. But if you're really trying to keep this in front of a fish for as long as you can, like you want everything to be as lined up as possible. And so in a musky sized one, the concern that I would have would be, I'm really right now only fishing it with one hook and it's at the very, very front. And um, I know that's not always ideal for musky fishing. So that's something I'd have to kind of figure out, but it can be figured out. I'll stay up and never sleep until I get it figured out. <laughs> well, dude, you know, it's like, and here we are sitting talking about theoretical flaw design. Um, even just doing like an 041 extended shank to put that hook in the third, and you could still run a single hook, but I know that would 
that almost gives such a long head though such a long head it would almost be starting to move into i don't know if you guys have ever heard of or tied a jerk changer Uh, yeah it would it would have it it would have a very jerk changer like head um Mm -hmm. shout out to blaine chocolate go buy his book um there you go got on the shelf right there it's just it would it would very strongly resemble that but that would get the hook placement that you want but it wouldn't swim the same it wouldn't have that action so uh, honestly dude i just put it on like a long shank like four odd or six odd yeah and just call it a day dude that's what i would do (laughs) maybe i gotta work on this tomorrow sorry to my wife for the plans that we had it's not happening i'm (laughs) tying up a large fly (laughs) how long does one of those take you to tie man Mm, i don't even like to admit that to myself uh so like i said before i make all my own brushes so i have to factor in it takes me a lot of time for that too so i'm i'm making my own brushes then I'm tying the fly, then I'm trimming the fly, then I'm adding the eyes. So with everything all together, if I'm operating quite well and I've had my coffee for the day, probably an hour and a half, an hour, 45 minutes. Um, so it's it's a while and that's fully involved. I'm not like watching YouTube videos while I'm going. I'm like, I'm tying. Um, and to be honest, and people hate this about a lot of trimmed game changers, but the trimming takes as long as the tying. Um, and especially this is unfortunate in some ways, but I have kind of found myself in a niche of having really clean looking flies, or at least I feel like they look clean, which means I'm sitting there with the fly, like three inches from my eyes, trying to like catch the one stray hair that's sticking out. And, um, it, it takes me a while. So you could, you could effectively tie one that will fish just as well as mine in less time probably, but I'm, I'm a little compulsive when it comes to my flies so that's all right though so what are what a labor of love first off what a labor (laughs) of love (laughs) and and secondly um all of your 3d eyes have you have you used any um like just flat adhesive eyes like the tape eyes have you tried any of those i haven't really um i have here let me for two seconds i'm gonna meet myself while i'm getting this So for the people that are looking at me, um, you'll be able to see a little bit better, but like here's a six inch version and the eyes are on the front here and I use UV resin to kind of build a wedge. And so you could probably do the same thing with tape eyes, but the eyes that I use are like slightly domed and are more stiff. And it actually starts to build the structure of that wedge at the front of the fly. And then I just kind of fill in UV resin around it. And, um, I find that to be really effective for what I need. With that said, I'm going to take this a little further than you asked, but here we go. Um, I am noticing, unfortunately, I am developing an allergy to UV resin, which is not good, but it does happen for people. And it seems to happen over prolonged use. So it's like not something that most people notice the very first time. It's I've sat here and been exposed to it for far too long, probably. And it's starting to catch up to me for whatever reason. So I am looking at adjusting those things potentially and seeing if other brands make a difference and stuff like that. I'm not going to name the brand that I use, but, um, and yes, also looking at things like liquid fusion, fantastic stuff. Um, 
the beauty of UV, UV resin is when you got it just right, you can lock it in right there. And that's a really appealing quality that I could probably find a way to overcome, but I really don't want to because there's just a convenience factor of like, oh, it looks good, hit the light and go. Um, so, but to backtrack, you asked about the tape eyes. I haven't really tried them because I'm using more stiff eyes to help build that wedge at the front. I have recently thought about adding um, tabbed eyes. I don't know if you guys have seen that where you yeah. you have an, yeah, an eye on a tab and you tie the tab mm -hmm. in. Um, and I'm wondering if I'm going to be able to achieve similar kind of wedge shape with that. And, um, and then maybe using something like a liquid fusion or something like that to fill in the gaps and see how it goes. So I don't know. Have you used tape eyes very much? Dude, I've got, I use tape eyes all the time. And actually what I do is I, because they're cheaper. Um, like, so on, on my, I use tape, tape eyes for my personal stuff. And then I use, mm -hmm. I use, you know, like the domed eyes mm -hmm. like these i think are 15 yeah these are 15 millimeter that's that's what big i use on my eyes. receivers yeah well big eyes give a big target for big jungle fish so you know it's like True. yeah so that, that's why i like using those and and they're always in stock you know people mm -hmm. are like but but why don't you use a six mil well six mil looks right but the, the flies chartreuse in black it doesn't have to look right <laughs> Yeah, it's <laughs> find me a chartreuse and black fish out there. Um, yeah, yeah, made of yarn. Um. <laughs> well, kind of speaking of uh, chartreuse, black, all this other stuff, you got topwater flies too. Like, I the streamers are awesome, but uh, my gig, I, I don't know what it is. Uh, I'm weird, but when I fly fish, I like to watch stuff feed off the top, especially bass. Sure. Like it's just dry, it, it, it's that's what gets me going. Um, you got like this zonker tail diver that that you tied and i i'm going through and, and i things catch my eye like they catch a fish's eye so i'm like <laughs> looking at this thing this thing's wild i mean uh, you're you're doing poppers frogs and then these zonker tail divers and stuff i mean that's like my style right there right where, where do you come up with some of these concepts at i mean i know that people tie them but man yours are like they're they're a different level well, i appreciate that man i uh I don't know that I can claim like propriety with any of those patterns. So I've yeah. seen them elsewhere and then I'm picking out my colors and stuff like that. And that's where I have the ability to add my own spin on things. Um, I, I really drew a lot of inspiration when I first started tying deer hair flies from a few different guys in the industry. Um, I don't know if you guys know Ricky Evans. Yeah. Um, Ricky's freaking yeah. almost, almost dropped the F-bomb. Ricky is unreal. His spooks. Oh. oh my God, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I'll tell this very quick story about Ricky and then I'll keep going with my thing. But <laughs> I, when I was first getting into tying deer hair flies, I, I got to the level where I felt like I could sell my flies, felt like I had fished them hard. I knew that they were durable. People seemed to like them. And it was time to like start tying them for other people. Cause I just had a box full. And, um, and so I went to Ricky because he ties, beautiful hair bugs and then he also ties them like in large quantities at times and to me that seemed super intimidating and so I called him up and I was like hey man like I've got an order of some divers that I got to do like any tips anything like that and he was asking me like how long how long has it taken you to like do one start to finish and I'm not going to share times because I don't want to share his time yeah mine was three or four times as long as it took him and 
it was embarrassing for me because he was like, oh, it takes me X number of time. And I like almost wanted to hang up the phone because I was like, this man is so <laughs> efficient. Um, so, but he is the nicest guy. I mean, he has walked me through a lot of different things in deer hair. So he's definitely one of the influences. Um, uh, Brandon Snook, he is up in Canada, British Columbia, Canada, same thing. I should know this. Sorry to my geography teachers. Um, it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. Okay, I thought so, but then I started yeah. to second guess myself. Was like pressure is on. Um, so he was just a buddy of mine. We were talking a lot, and he kept kind of like gently pushing that I should start tying deer hair flies. And I was like, I don't know, man. I was like, Have you ever tied a foam popper? You can tie it in like five minutes. And um, <laughs> he was like, Well, why don't you just tie some and try it out and see what happens? And so I tied the ugliest deer hair flies. I mean, just absolutely atrocious. Didn't have the right kind of hair didn't have like a hair packer, like to push the hair back. Um, so I did it with my hands. It was ugly as could be. And I went out and fished and I caught the biggest bass of the year on one of my ugly, ugly deer hair flies. And I was like, okay, Brandon, like well played. Um, so of course I came back home and I started to get every color of deer hair and all that stuff. So I owe him credit as well. Um, Brandon Bales, I don't know if you guys know him. Oh my uh, goodness, Brandon yeah. Bugs. I mean, that man, like we've spoken on Instagram a few times, he and I, he's a super nice guy, but he is like borderline robotic when it comes to his flies. I do not understand the level of precision that he has. I mean, it's just, well, you, you got to think about what he does for a career too. I mean, he is a very, very precise individual. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Yeah. He works at NASA, doesn't he? Yeah. 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 So I owe him some credit. Um, and then a few others that maybe I'm less connected to, but are still really valuable to me. Um, Alan Campbell, I don't know if you guys know him. Oh, dude, um, Campbell was going to come on, but he had his tonsils removed or something. Yeah. Oh, bummer. <laughs> um, yeah, he's a great guy. He ties some incredible bugs, not just um, deer hair flies. He ties a yeah. lot of great stuff. Um, Chris Adams, again, that I was talking about down in uh, Australia, he ties some great bugs too, some really tight deer hair flies. Doesn't do a ton these days but um it still has a few and then i'm sure i'm missing people sorry to anybody that i've interacted with regarding deer hair but those are kind of my main core people that got me into it and um and i agree brian like there's something addictive about fishing topwater in general and for me there's like an extra layer of excitement with deer hair flies they just to me they fish better than foam flies um so that's just me but yeah, it's exciting stuff, man. And um, we were talking about, you, I think, brought this up originally, talking about chartreuse and black. Um, I know which fly you're talking about just because it's on social media and I only have so many posts. And mm -hmm. that same trip, I was with a buddy who doesn't really tie. And um, it was really fun because I just brought all my deer hair with me and I handed him the box and I said, you pick out the colors for these flies and so there were definitely some patterns or some like color combinations that i would not have picked uh, but at the end of the day it was really neat because it added in a new layer of excitement and kind of spice to tying up those flies and so i don't know if he picked the colors on that one but i know that during that trip he picked out some so yeah it's neat man there's so many ways to customize flies or lures um and then at the end of the day if you can catch a fish on them like gosh that's cool yeah, just the 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 concept of of that fly action and everything else. That's just so intriguing to me because 
you, you start talking about like diving baits and things like that and diving flies and then popping flies and, you know, streamers with that, that crankbait action and everything else. And it's like, you know, a, a lot of people, they're, they're, their knowledge of fly fishing is limited because what's out there is like, you're either going to go for the dry hatch or you're going to nip and there's no in mm -hmm. between. It's like, no, there's a quite a bit in between. And then a lot of people only think that fly fishing is for trout. Thanks to a river runs through it. Um, we, yeah, we can yeah. fly fish for anything and everything we want. You know, you just have to look at what's out there. You know, if we, if we have a herring mimicking fly offshore, are we going to catch, uh, you know, the different types of species that, are going to eat a herring or are we going yeah. to be looking at, you know, something like for a GT where it's something massive and huge, like a flip-flop with a 16 knot hook, you know, you throw that out there and just pop, pop. And then it eats it. Cause it looks like, you know, some kind of shore bird that's wounded, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. but, but there's just so much more to it. Uh, and uh, that I really like that. I, I love that concept of that type of bait. Yeah. That's what I fish a lot of conventionally diving type baits and things like that. So mm -hmm. it's just super cool. Yeah, and I, I think there's something to be said to you for enjoying what you're fishing, um, whether that's nymphing, whether that's dry flies, like not just picking something for effectiveness. Um, I think when I first got into fishing in general, like conventional fishing as a kid, and then also when I got into fly fishing, in like at the beginning, it was, I want to catch as many fish as I can, as fast as I can on this new weird long pole thing with a noodle at the end. Like, I want to know how to catch as many fish as possible. And then that, to me, kind of lost its luster because it was like, well, I can go to a pond and catch 300 bluegill and come home and it's fun, but like, I know I can go back tomorrow and catch the same 300 bluegill on a scrap of yarn. And then and other people have said this too, this is not my own thoughts here, but there was kind of a, I want to catch the biggest fish possible phase. Um, yeah. And that's yeah. still there. I don't know that I ever will lose that because there is something just so fun about catching something huge. Um, but on the back end of that, I, I found this, I want to catch fish in the way that I want to catch fish. And that's kind of where I've landed. And it's to me the most fun. And so that's why like, if you want to fish a diving bait, fish a diving bait. And it may be the most effective thing that day, but it also might not be. But if you're enjoying fishing that fly and you got confidence fishing that fly, like that goes a long way. Without a doubt, dude. Oh my goodness. Dude, I've got so many questions. So what do you, what, what is your preferred tool for making your brushes? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. Um, so I use, I guess the tool is the you know, Oasis um, brush table is what it's called. It's made by a guy named Rick Weisberg. Um, it makes brushes up to about 17 inches or so, which is quite a bit larger than the kind of big box brushes or like industry size brushes. That comes in handy sometimes. I don't know that it's super special. Like, I don't know that's the only selling point, but he just developed a really good brush table that's very approachable for people of any skill level. Um, my original brush table I made in my mother-in-law's garage and um, it worked fine. It was, it was fine. Um, but I got this one and it, it solved a lot of the more quality of life issues that I was having. And so to some people, they might look at the price tag and it's not that expensive, but they might look at it and be like, whoa, I don't need brushes that bad. 
And if you make brushes for a while and it's something you're into, it's worth the investment to get a quality tool. Um, so that's what I use. I love it. I actually made a video. It's on YouTube. Um, I'm not trying to like promote my YouTube channel here. But oh, you should you do it. Do it. Okay. Yeah. This is going to be uh, on YouTube. So definitely promote it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I think I'm just Ryan McFall on YouTube. If you look up Oasis dubbing brush table, you'll find, I think it's the top video for that. There's not that many out there. So you should be able to find me. Um, but I kind of walk through how to use the table and stuff like that. So that might be helpful to some people, but that's my go-to tool. Um, and then from there, like, I don't know how much time y'all got, but I could talk materials and all that kind of stuff for ages. So I've, I've got a, I've got a question um about synthetic brushes because mm -hmm. i keep messing them up and i don't have a table right first i mean I, i'm sitting at a table but i don't have a brush mm -hmm. table <laughs> i'm glad you um, have a table yeah i mean it's also a bed sometimes it's it's whatever don't judge me yeah. but you know <laughs> i uh, i use my dubbing whirler <laughs> and uh just some wire and this mm -hmm. little hook that i screwed into my table and that's how i make my brushes mm -hmm. but um when you're making a synthetic, what do you use as the core? Or do you just let that same synthetic be the core at a different density of fiber? It, it really depends on what the end goal is for that brush um, and also what synthetic I'm using. So for people who, if you follow me on Instagram or go look at my Instagram, you'll see I tie a lot of brush changers and I'm using polypropylene yarn. And so you can buy that. It's like EP fibers, like um, there's various things, Congo hair. It's all very similar stuff. Um, when I'm using that and I'm making brush changers, that's all I'm using. And I'm not changing the density at all. I just have one thickness all the way through one. Would you say thickness for density too? One density? I would, I would imagine so. In, in this okay. instance, it makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I'm using and that's, that's all I'm using. I'll maybe add flash or things like that. Now, if I'm making a 12 inch or 14 inch bucktail changer, and I need some really stiff materials to be holding up my bucktail, um, at that point I'm picking stiffer fibers or I'm increasing the density quite a bit. And so stiffer fibers might be more like SF blend and things like that. Um, there are and you can message me if you care to, but like there are other products that are not in the fly tying industry that could be used that you may find more cost-effective if you're willing to like invest in bulk. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with things. Like I, I buy things from all different places. Every time we walk into Hobby Lobby, it's a scary time because I'm like pulling stuff off the shelves that is not meant to be on flies, but I'm putting it on flies. Um, but I'll pick something stiffer that will hold itself up better or like you said, I may add a core of either the same material or a different material to help prop up those longer fibers. So it kind of adds something in between. And um, I was just talking this week to Tony um, from Nightmare Musky Flies and he and I were talking brushes a bit and he, he and I were talking about adding that core kind of density at the bottom and then having those taller fibers up top as well. So I think you asked what specific things I'm using when I'm adding a core, it's either the same material or something that is not going to impede my castability. So I'm getting kind of like geeky here for a second. So if I get too far in, let me know. So, and I'll free, back up. so you're looking for like free materials. So, so maybe like strung fuzz or something like that. Right. Um, so the stuff like 
for those of you who are listening or or watching, I'm holding up a brush that I use for tying a game changer, like a brush changer that that I'm trimming. This is a really dense brush um, and the fibers are all really kind of kinky. And so it's small, dense and kinky, which leads to water being trapped pretty heavily. Um, If I'm tying something that's 12 inches or 14 inches, I want that thing to shed as much water as soon as you pull it out of the water as possible, or else you're going to cast it for an hour and be tired. And that's not the goal. Um, So you mentioned strung fuzzy fiber a minute ago. That's a great example of something that is more dense. It is kind of kinky, but it is going to shed water pretty quickly just based off the nature of the material. So to conclude my very long rambling tangent here, I'm going to pick the material that fits with the end goal of what the brush will be used for. And then within that, I'm taking consideration for um, what density I need, what stiffness I need, and then will it be able to shed water and be cast easily if need be. So thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Dude, that was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm I'm definitely, you've, you've got my, You've got the, the the two mice. They just stopped fighting for the last little crumb brain cell in my head, and now they're doing some bumps and they're 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 doing overtime right now. So, <laughs> dude, I'm I'm definitely gonna have to ask you about because I got a bunch of Tony stuff sitting on my tying bench right now. I've been tying a lot with it uh, here recently, so I'm gonna have to hit you up about some of that stuff. For sure. I've got a, a giant bag of it right next to me. Actually, so <laughs> we're in good company for that. <laughs> well, Ryan, dude, we're, we're coming up on our hour, dude. And uh, I just hit you with a dude sandwich. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> what up, man? Uh, where can everybody find you? Where can people get a hold of you and uh, just be able to experience all that is Ryan McFall? Oh, I don't know that everybody wants to experience all that's Ryan McFall, but if you're looking for the fly tying portion, um, I am on Instagram, uh, McFall flies. So M C F as in Frank, I talk about like McFalling down the stairs, um, McFall flies. Um, I am on Facebook. It's just my name, Ryan McFall. I have a YouTube channel. It's Ryan McFall. I'm pretty consistent across platforms here. Um, and that's about it for now. I don't know. Maybe I'll branch out. I don't have a website or anything like that. My email address is nothing related to fly tying. So I'm not going <laughs> to share that here. So the best place to find me is Instagram. I try to be pretty consistent in checking my DMs and stuff like that. And I'm also a human and live a life outside of fly tying as hard as that is to believe. So if I don't respond to you, please don't like send me something nasty to my house or anything like that. Um, I'll get back <laughs> to you as soon as I can. Yeah. Well, what I found interesting was, uh, as I was perusing and uh, stalking you via Instagram, uh, you got a pretty uh, important uh, job that you do in real life. Um, You want to share a little bit about that before we go? Sure. Yeah, uh, I'm a mental health and substance use therapist um, for children, adolescents, and young adults. If I got to pick, I would really just work with older adolescents and young adults. I'm, I'm a little scared of little children, but I try not to let them know that. Um, but that's my day-to-day job, uh, my 40-hour a week job. I, I really love talking to people. So like an opportunity like this to talk other than the therapy world is fantastic for me. Um, so I appreciate being here. But yeah, I love people. Um, I love being able to 
listen and also this is going to sound strange to some people potentially but to sit in the dark with people um not literally but figuratively um it's an honor and so that's something that i i don't know that i got in the field for but it's something that i realized i'm really appreciative of now and um so yeah that's my day-to-day job it can be heavy sometimes but mm-hmm. uh, most days i love it and i think that's that's all i can ask for well, I, I think it goes without saying that that's a very, very important job, despite what, you know, some people have personal beliefs of, um, boy, we, we got some, we got some stuff going on in the world today that, that can be really hard for kids. And, uh, there's kids that are put through things that we couldn't even fathom or imagine. And, you know, the fact that you're, you know, you, you had the dedication to go to school, learn how to, you know, and, and I say, go to school, go, go study the human adolescent mind and understand the complexities of, of a developing brain, basically, which is far beyond that. That's a simplified thing. Uh, and then be able to help people. That's, that's really cool. So, you know, my hat's off to you for, for doing that job. You know, I, I certainly hope you find the peace in fly fishing, uh, or fishing in general, or being outside or having these other conversations, because yeah, that can be, just it, it can be a lot and uh that's a super cool job that you do no oh, i appreciate it yeah and like you said i i do find my own therapy well i do go to my own therapist too i think every therapist needs a therapist but besides that i find my own therapy in tying flies and being on the water and and building connections this is going to sound really cheesy because i was just thanking you guys for being here which is genuine but uh, i love meeting new people in this in this field and in this community and there's always going to be some some people that are not as nice in any subset of any group, but across the board, for the most part, like fly tires are pretty cool. Fly fishermen are pretty cool. And we're all humans at the end of the day. And we've got our warts and our quirks and stuff like that. But man, it's so cool to meet new people and spend time getting to know each other. So I appreciate y'all having me here and I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Dude, it was, it was, um, I'm not going to talk for Brian, but it was an absolute pleasure. Like, and I know I'm, I'm going to talk for Brian. He's thinking the same thing. Dude, we, I didn't know anything about you other than you tied really awesome flies and your Instagram post, I think you made two days ago. That was all I knew about you, dude. It was the weirdest little set of circumstances ever. Um, I'm like frantically searching for someone that, I think we could sit down and talk to because yeah, we'll, we'll have anyone on that wants to come on by any means. But when you're looking for a guest, you want to find someone that you think that you can sit down and have a conversation with. And uh, you messaged me as the first two guys declined because they were busy and they have, you know, they were doing other things. And I was like, man, I hope this works out. And the stars just aligned, dude. And this has been such a refreshing conversation to have and i I got to geek out about flies and it was a lot of fun dude just ryan really thank you so much for coming on dude oh absolutely absolutely i appreciate you guys having me yeah thank you so much for uh making the last minute call getting you know getting on here and then uh just talking to us and and sharing so much with us there's just so much information here a lot to learn you know for for the viewers of youtube they're gonna you know see some stuff and the listeners just to hear this this is awesome so thank you so much of course i welcome at any time from y'all or anybody else so bring it on awesome 
All right. Well, well, everybody, thanks for listening. This episode of Working Class Fishing was brought to you by CD Fishing USA, 317 Flies, Angry Rooster Fly Company, Lid Rig, and Anadromous Fly Company. All right. And if you're looking to get in touch with us or you want to find out more about Ryan, make sure that you reach out to us through any one of our social media channels. You can find us on Instagram under Working Class Fishing Podcast over on Facebook under WC Fish. You can also find us on YouTube. If you're watching us here, you already found us. But if you're listening and you want to see what we got going on, we're over on YouTube under the Working Class Fishing Podcast. And we are on all major listening platforms across the world. So Make sure when you're listening to this, if you liked what you heard from Ryan, leave us a five-star rating, leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. It's free, it's painless, it takes a couple seconds, and uh, it really helps us out a lot. And if you want to be on the podcast or you have a suggestion and you want to just shoot us an email, you can email us at workingclassfish at gmail.com. But until next time, everyone, thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day.